Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today, we discuss about influence marketing and how you can win on this game because it's growing a lot. And I'm excited to discuss this topic with Joe Sinquist. How are you? I'm doing great, Anatoly. How are you doing today? Yeah, a nice day. No, we have interesting saying that uh, our nature doesn't have bad weather. So <laughs> it's more uh, related with your mood. And if you have a good mood, yeah, you can go ahead with anything. <laughs> okay, uh, just with, before we start, tell more about your experience, background, and why you decided to take this topic. Sure. So my background actually is in organic search. Uh, I started with that when I was in college. So in the summer of, I believe it was 97, I ended up working with a doctor. It was an intern at the time, and the doctor wanted to build a website. Not a big deal. Let's build a website using extremely old technologies back then. Built it, and he's like, hey, I want to sell this new type of drug called Viagra. How do we do that? I'm like, okay, well, let's let's figure this out. So I figured out AltaVista at the time, figured out you know what people were doing, and I be kind of backed my way into being a blackhead SEO selling Viagra through AltaVista. And then from there, you know, I graduated, I did a little bit of software development, I built uh, tax software, and got back into the search field, I got back more into organic search once again, uh, especially like uh, insurance and payday loans. And then we did that for a long period of time, built a kind of an empire of, of financial sites. Um, after that, uh, I would say abruptly ended, uh, it, we actually had the anniversary uh, just yesterday on April 24th, it's the anniversary of Penguin 10 years. So 10 years ago, it wiped us out. So we were doing $50,000 every day and then nothing, like close to nothing. But we were spending so much money that everything got turned upside down. We had to close that business, unfortunately. Um, I went to CopyPress and I helped CopyPress out. So I was the, the head of revenue there. So sales and marketing, kind of building a sales org of selling content marketing to enterprise companies. So it was a really different experience what I was doing. While I was there, I got approached by a, uh, a quiet firm out of Hollywood. So the Cameron family, the people that make uh, you know, like Terminator, <laughs> Titanic, and those type of movies, they created a ridiculous, uh, okay. It was a cell phone that you vape. It's, a, mm -hmm. it, it, it's absurd as it sounds. And this is kind of how I got into influencer marketing because that product was prohibited everywhere. I couldn't use AdWords. You know, SEO was gonna take way too long for what they wanted to do. And I couldn't use Facebook ads. We got all the way up to the general counsel at Facebook. And he got back and said, hey, Cheryl says no. So I'm like, okay, you know, what are we going to do? So I started taking the product and just putting it in the hands of people and trying to get them to make fun of it. When they made fun of it, it started getting like a little viral action. We got, you know, interviews in Playboy and Maxim and a whole bunch of stuff. So a lot of free press just by giving out the, the phones. It's like, okay, well, this is a real, this is a real angle. So I recognized you know, these little groups of influencers within the e-cig market and from there, I recognized that the market was just dysfunctional. There was only really agencies that had talent management capabilities. There's no good way to hire if you were like a small biz. It worked great if you were a big business because you can kind of just, you know, throw your product out there everywhere. But if you're a small influencer or a small biz, it didn't work. So we created Intellifluence to kind of flip the script a little bit. We built it uh, from the ground up to be a marketplace so that small biz, small influencers could interact. 
And as we did that and became more successful, obviously we were able to go up the ladder where we have a lot bigger businesses now. We have a lot larger influencers as well. But that's that's how we came into it. We you know we had to build it because it, it served a need that wasn't being served at the time. Nice, nice. Yeah, like your experience. I think that you know. Uh, I, I remember when I started with SEO. Uh, I didn't know anything about white hat SEO. <laughs> I just bought more backlinks that my competitors had. Uh, I created e-commerce content at that time that worked well, but today it's not. <laughs> I think we need to uh, find. Uh, new strategies uh, if you want to be on this field. So, yeah, I, I uh, love your experience, especially, you know, when uh, I, I'm not sure that failing uh, exists, you know, uh, if you uh, fail with some projects, companies uh, that I did many times, you know, in my life. So I think that's okay. You know, you can learn, you can go ahead, you can improve your skills because mm -hmm. the best uh, knowledge is coming from failures, you know. Uh, I think without failure, it's hard to be innovative enough. You know, you need to figure out in uh, some way. Okay, uh, you know, um, I, I want to ask you about uh, how to find the right influencer today. For example, if some companies wanna uh, jump on this field to sell products or create brand awareness, it depends how to find the right influencers because we have uh, so many influencers that uh, have uh, low engagement or uh, uh, I'm not sure about uh, the quality of their followers because uh, many ways to get them. Uh, can you tell from your experience how to do it right? Yeah, so what I find is a lot of the times when a company approaches and say, we need influencers, I start asking, okay, what's your end goal? Right? What kind of KPI mm -hmm. are you, you, you know, trying to go after? Are you trying to find sales? Okay, let's look at what the product is. From that product, where, where does the buying audience exist? Are they actually on Instagram? Is, is it a really technical product where it doesn't make sense to be on Instagram? So you find mm -hmm. that you're, you're asking questions to try to determine which network makes the most sense, what type of uh, review type is gonna make the most sense. Like talking about that technical product, if it requires 10 minute explanation of some of the highly in-depth thing, that means that not only am I determining what the network is and the review type, I also need to figure out like what type of influencer. I'm not looking for an aspirational celebrity. I'm looking for an expert. Uh, you know, if, if I'm selling a, like a basic phone, uh, maybe Instagram's fine. And maybe a celebrity's just fine, but probably more than likely a peer level influencer is fine. Like, you know, I might influence you on uh, which headphones to buy and vice versa. Uh, versus, you know, if, if we're doing an extremely technical product, uh, I need to I need to appeal to someone's expertise first to get a, an understanding, and then you might have someone layered on later uh, with with a pure influence. So there's different aspects of questions that you're asking first to figure out direction, type of influencer, social network. From there, then it's a matter of categorical interest, finding influencers that are already talking about those subjects, and it could be hashtag based. That narrows everything down so much, and then then you can start looking at engagement. So. There's a lot, a lot of networks out there. Obviously, in Telefluence, we're a worm contact network, which means that everyone that we have physically signed up to work with us. So it's a lot of it's a lot less guessing of does this person do what they want to do. Um, sometimes people go to like a cold outreach model, which works as well as you know is warm, depending upon what they do. So there's tools like Ninja Outreach, right? So people mm -hmm. might go there, especially in the SEO world that used to work all the time, where I'm looking to contact bloggers. They pull up, they try to find possible contact information and then kind of spray it out in order to get it back. 
with warm networks, it's a lot easier because it's sort of verified and then you just kind of go back and forth. In terms of engagement, engagement differs a lot by the network too. So like a, uh, a 3% engagement rate on Instagram is average. It is, you look at it and say, that's, that's decent, uh, that's acceptable for what it might be. If you had a 3% engagement rate on Twitter, that's incredible. <laughs> you don't get that kind of engagement right there. So it, it really depends upon that network selection. And then also like what your, your end goal is and, and what type of stuff you're doing. So if, if we were doing that technical review that required an expert on YouTube, you're able to create that material and you say, okay, well, but we really need to sell this thing. How do we sell it further? Then you might end up taking that, re, you know, that, that detailed review and getting embedded in blog posts and spreading that and, you know, amplifying on Twitter. The, the answer I know sounds super complex because it's not just one little activity that you do in a vacuum. It's a matter of trying to figure out the best possible people on the right network for the category that you're in. And then taking that and saying, now, how could I get this in front of anyone that's in my buying audience? Yeah, nice. Well explained. I think uh, I will not ask uh, Kim Kardashian to post content about my company, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not sure that I have money, you know, <laughs> even if I sell everything, you know, what I have, <laughs> my uh, cars, companies, you know, yeah, it will be hard to get a few posts from Kim Kardashian. So yeah, <laughs> it's better to find influencers who uh, post content about uh, my products related to them. And uh, can you tell more about... Um, uh cooperating with these influencers uh how to reach out to them uh how to uh find the right content for example um i often see when uh companies uh are ordering uh post e-commerce post but uh it can decrease engagement even uh less than three percent that we have today uh do we need to tell influencers please uh, uh think about how to unite our products with your content because uh, they probably know more about their audience and uh, yeah how to find this uh, this type of content yeah so the the two biggest failure points after you've already sort of determined who you want to reach out to is the pitch to the influencer and then the campaign mm -hmm. brief so that kind of goes over both and the pitch to the influencer this is kind of vital because you want to try to use it to weed out the people that might not be a fit but you have to be really direct like I've seen pitches that are five paragraphs long and like the right influencer, they might just delete it. It's like, this, this is, looks like a hassle. What you mm -hmm. want to do is in the very first sentence, let them know the value exchange, let them know you're the right, you're the right influencer for us because you fit these following things. And this is what we're looking for. Here's how much I'm willing to pay. I'm looking for this type of, of post. Uh, yes or no. From there, once that's sort of accepted in the campaign brief, that's where you put in all this information. I really like to let influencers speak to their own audience. I, I don't like to say, you are going to put this video live. I don't like to give them a video and like go post it live. I like to say, work with your audience. Here's some do's and some don'ts. Here's some reviews that we loved. Here's some reviews that we did not like. So you're, you're giving them guidance within the campaign brief. And that happens with all forms of marketing, right? You're letting them, like you might have a brand book that you have to do because you're a, a large brand and there's, copyright issues and there's like a guidelines when it comes to color schemes and all that stuff like that happens but for the most part if you're reaching out to an influencer you're doing it because they built their own audience and you want to give them the product and let them use it in the context of working with their own audience so you can let them know here's what's worked well in the past that got great engagement 
here what's here's what didn't and then as a sweetener let them know like if your review is really good we're going to do everything we possibly can to amplify it so you're incentivizing them not with just with money but giving them more exposure saying we want to go and take what you've done and then we want to uh you know, make it an ad unit and like just mm -hmm. blow it out of the water and a lot of influencers do respond to that uh, so mm -hmm. what's that LinkedIn user saying? Don't ask Kim. It's a low quality <laughs> content. So they're they're a very interesting family. Um, I've actually given a lot of presentations uh, in, in on the influencer marketing world, especially like ungagged and whatnot. And so it's it skews a little bit black hat. So we, you know we've talked about they have such a massive following that they actually do have a decent engagement, but they have it in a very indirect way where they're not disclosing half the stuff that they're doing. So they're kind of in violation of FTC there. But even beyond that, usually it, it went from them being able to charge a couple hundred thousand dollars per post to half a million dollars per post. Now they're, they're just taking equity stakes in, in, in the products and companies that they're, they're promoting, or they have their own private label created so they could push the product. That's just an entirely different ballgame. Like once... Once you get up into that that mega level influencer following, where it's over like a hundred million uh, in audience size, then it, it it takes on a whole different life. Where we'll see the compensation that you can expect runs somewhat linearly from like nothing to uh, like it depends on the network, but let's say like a, a couple million. We just actually did a, a big study on this. It runs kind of linearly, where you can charge like a ten cents per per follower, basically. After a period of time, it starts to run a little bit more on a curved basis because there's less supply mm -hmm. of the really big ones. But Kim and, and you know Courtney, they're out so high up here in the quadrant, up into the right, that they're able to charge whatever they want. Their engagement is crazy. Uh, it in some cases it looks terrible, but it's sort of deceiving just because, like, yeah, if you have a hundred something million, you're not going to end up you know with three percent comments every time. It's just too much. But they they kind of get it on the backside where they're getting insane click through rates and then they get the exposure and use that exposure in magazines and whatnot. So they're they're a very interesting business case. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and um, I, re I read a few studies that uh, influence marketing is growing to hundred billion dollars per year. You know, yeah, a, a lot of money on this field. Can I hope you so. tell? <laughs> can you? Tell how to filter out uh, uh, their own uh, influencers. For example, yeah, I understand that uh, they might have a different audience, but what about uh, influencers that uh, had um, empty audience, you know, uh, more with bots or I don't know, uh, some followers that were created automatically? Can you tell how, how to find uh, uh, about these influencers? Yeah, it, it's tricky. And, and the reason I say it's tricky is there's a lot of tools out there designed to find fake followers and designed to find um, bot based comment systems. The problem is the false, uh, the false positive rate so high that I don't actually trust them. So the way that we do that internally in Intel Flint, we'll look at this, uh, we'll look at post over time. So we'll see like, does something get really spiky where does it like, do they pick up millions of followers really quickly? Does it look like their engagement rate is perpetually low and they just have nothing going on? Those, those end up being warning flags. And I don't want to say too much about how we're using some of that data, but we'll, we'll use data like that as a mechanism to say, we need to take a look at these individuals. Maybe they're not right for the network. Maybe we'll kind of sandbox them so they don't see opportunities. 
Um, I think every network approaches it a little bit differently. Some are pretty malicious when it comes to if there's any sniff of a fake follower that they, they, they try to remove. Um, in some cases too, like uh, as you get to be a certain size, especially in something like Instagram, um, you're going to get fake followers. There's nothing you can do about ghost followers because um, it's it's part of an overall process where as you're spinning up like black hat world stuff, right? So if you're spinning up accounts left and right and you want to make them look legitimate, well, there's a probability that you might be following a celebrity. So therefore, there's going to be a randomized uh, following of from a list of we're going to follow all these different accounts over a period of time. It's mm -hmm. going to look natural as I'm growing it and creating content and regurgitating in these throwaway accounts. So those people might be following others that they didn't buy the fake followers. It just sort of happens. So there's mm -hmm. there's things that you have to consider there. Uh, I really just like to not obfuscate to say like, okay, here here's the influencer. Here's what we know about it. Here's their average comments. Here's their average audience size. Here's the average likes. Do with it what you want. Go ahead and take a look at it. Poke around their post. Do they look like a stylish fit? Because the, the style fit matters quite a bit. And you know that we we sort of gloss over that as an industry. Like we're so focused on metrics, but unfortunately there is the art of it. Saying like, well, you know what, this this Anatoly guy, he's perfect for this. You know, maybe his metric might not be right. He, they might be like slightly be like below whatever a brand's looking for. But for whatever reason, like. There's there maybe there's a cultural fit. There's just a, a stylistic fit, and so that's mm -hmm. that's hard to quantify, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable, valuable. Uh, okay, I have the question about uh, which companies can jump with influencer marketing, and which companies need to skip it. Uh, or uh, can you tell uh, what's the ratio uh, of marketing budget we need to share with influencer marketing? Ooh. Because yeah, <laughs> I think uh, SEO paid marketing, many other uh, marketing channels, how to find your ratio, uh, the best one? Because I know that some companies uh, only use influence marketing and can sell a lot. Other companies skip completely this uh, marketing channel. Can you tell, uh, probably we have some uh, businesses or niches that don't need this type of marketing? Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, because I'm in an influencer company, I'm gonna say anyone can use influencer marketing. And to a degree, that's true. The the companies that do the best tend to be business to consumer companies uh, where they're selling a product or service towards a consumer, or even better, they're selling directly to the consumer and not going through a retail middleman. Those mm -hmm. tend to do the very best, something that's tangible, like the phone or you know a softball, like, you know what it is, you could see it, you could feel it, you could touch, you could taste if you really wanted to, you know, that you could experience with your senses. That's That translates extremely well to influencer marketing. B2B is growing in influencer marketing as we're understanding that essentially we're looking to influence people and people influence people. It's a lot harder to do. So like if, if you're selling, and, and this was a, a real example that was very difficult to do, it was a penetration testing software company. Okay, how are you mm -hmm. gonna do this? And so like the mechanism that you could try to do, like I sort of described earlier, was getting an expert to do like the video series on how it all works and then trying to do the blog embeds. And so there's ways to make it work, but it's it's a lot harder. Should so the B2B company start with influencer marketing? No, I don't think so. I think influencer marketing would be something you tack on later down the road. But if you're B2C or D2C, you're, you're probably starting higher up with influencer marketing because it's a more immediate sales channel. How much budget should you put? That, that really depends so much. Like, is it a product that can you know be sold uh, with ads? Okay, cool. 
uh, is a product that cannot be sold with ads. That's going to make your your basis on whether or not it needs to be uh, using influencers versus you know doing AdWords, Facebook ads, etc. You know how, how are you going to make the determination of does this type of product uh, experience is it localized? Is it something that you could uh, only sell within the city of Scottsdale, Arizona? Well, maybe I'm just going to do billboards. Maybe that's a more effective mechanism. So you have to really do a channel analysis to determine uh, you know how much you're going to be shimming throwing in. I do see the worlds of SEO and uh, influencer marketing converging quite a bit because like, like we have tens of thousands of bloggers and bloggers equals SEO in, in a lot of cases. Well, they're, they're being hired for their influence, but you know, I'd be not very bright if, if I did not understand the SEO impact of getting, you know, uh, you know, thousands of blog posts that are all unique and, and accurate for reviews on a particular product. So, you know, I see some SEO budget that shifts towards that temporarily as they're sort of fitting a need. Influencer marketing, it's a channel, it's a tool. So you just use it as you need it. You're not always going to need a hammer when you're building a home, but you're, if you're doing like a B2C product, you do need a hammer to build a home at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, we have the question. Uh, to find out better marketing channel, you should separate your marketing budget and test conversion rate. What do you think about that? Uh, conversion rate for sure. I mean, so for that, you're, you're actually looking to get your, your return on ad spend. So I, mm -hmm. you, you're looking at the ROAS. So you're, you're probably, and I guess to make it even more complicated, uh, uh, depending on the product as well. So you might be testing the channel to see what kind of a direct rate you, at, you get. But if you're doing any sort of cookie basis, then you might be looking at, okay, does the influencer channel, is it more evergreen? Can, can you get more conversions later on after you've already created it? So like, like that YouTube video, YouTube videos are fairly evergreen. They might last for a very long time and be useful later on versus uh, AdWords. They might have a very high conversion rate initially, but once the ad stops running, it stops running unless you happen to get uh, you know follow on brand queries back in organic search. So it, it's difficult to always uh, measure it just on a conversion rate basis, but absolutely I'd look at conversion rate. I'd look at the, the actual investment spend. I'd look at like the time horizons of when that content is live and see if I could try to track over a period of time the expected traffic, expected conversions over the lifetime value of the content. Tricky, but also I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, if you find a channel that works, go very hard at it, but don't rely on it entirely. Like I, I made that mistake back, you know, in from 2003 to 2012, relying almost entirely on Google organic search. I advise people to not make that mistake again. So that's why in Telefoots, we do not rely on any particular network. We're network agnostic. As many as we could possibly support, we support just in case, because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, uh, I remember when uh, I had an online shop in Ukraine and when uh, Google filter, uh, that was Penguin, the first version in 2012 uh hit our website you know we lost all sales and we didn't know what to do you know yeah that was hard hard uh, but uh, after that we started to learn more to change approaches to learn more about white hat seo so yeah i agree you need to find uh, a few channels and it's better to provide multi-channel approaches and uh, you know i i have the question about uh for example uh, i remember when hrs shares the study about uh b sponsored on audio podcast uh, and um, uh, they uh, replied it's hard to measure uh, how many sales uh, is 
uh, are coming from uh, uh, to be sponsored and they didn't stop just increase the budget for example Neil Patel uh, he decided to use TV marketing and after spending hundred thousand dollars he got uh, new uh, he got nothing you know from that uh, but it uh, can help to build brand awareness and after that he extended his budget to, to a million dollars can you tell more why uh, big brands businesses uh, without selling anything uh, without uh, possibilities to measure uh, uh, this type of marketing can in extend budget uh, for the sake of uh, creating brand awareness or uh, any other uh, goals they have in mind yeah I mean I sometimes I blame large ad agencies for this where television and radio sounds like a very safe channel for a lot of people because mm -hmm. it's been around mm -hmm. for so long and it's a lot easier to hide in those channels whether or not you're effective so if you're if it's easier to hide then it's harder to be fired for being ineffective now there's mm -hmm. absolutely ways you can measure though they could be sending uh they could use like customized coupon codes in the ad like uh ask for anatoly you know when you go to this and like if you see like do we see any coupon usage for this uh, they might use a specific website that happens in radio all the time. Go to Joe three one one, and so the people you see like the direct traffic associated with that. You try to time it to the spikes where you know that it's been on the airwaves. So there's methods to do it um, for the brand awareness. I actually do love brand awareness because it's it's getting to be a bigger and bigger signal within organic search. You know, we look at you know look at links, look at the content, we look at all the user associated signals. Brand signal, it's a great signal. So if you're able to say like, okay, I know that when my, my television commercial airs, I'm getting an influx of people searching for my stuff, clicking my site, maybe they're not buying, but they're buying later. Are they, is it because that this becomes an awareness channel, but not necessarily an action channel? Now we're looking at ADA. So you've got the awareness, uh, you know, the information, you know, the desirability and the actionability of it. So then we're talking like old school marketing now. So like you might look at like some channels are better just for like getting an understanding that, hey, that product exists, but I'm not, I'm not ready to buy it yet. Now I, I might get more interested in it because I see another ad elsewhere. So the, the, the conversion might get attributed to a different channel, but it started with television. That is possible. And uh, an omni-channel is one of those things where everyone's been trying to solve forever. No one has solved it. And I think it's going to be a long time before it's truly solved. It's tough, especially when we're moving mm -hmm. the GA4, which hides everything. Useless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's move uh, to another part of the story. Uh, for example, if someone want to sell with influence marketing, uh, I don't know, to sell uh, from their posts, uh, uh, where they need to start? What they need to do first? How to find customers who are willing to uh, spend money uh, and uh, yeah, uh, for creating content for, to their audience? So the just to under, so I understand the question. The question is how do they find people to sell? Yeah, for example, uh, I have my network on LinkedIn, and I wanna sell. Uh, I, I wanna find some find some sponsors for my content. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that makes way more sense. So there's a lot of influencer networks out there. I would recommend you join every single one. It's, it's simple mm -hmm. as that, really. So um, like when we started, I think there's a couple hundred different players and they all sort of focus in different areas. Uh, we joined as many as we could just to understand what everyone's doing. Now it's well over a thousand different networks. Um, mm -hmm. You're probably looking more for a warm contact network. So I'd say join a telephone, so, you know, see what's there. 
You can put in your LinkedIn, you can put in your Twitter, your, your Facebook, et cetera, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but don't just join one, like join all of them because it's going to give you a better understanding of how the networks work. There's going to be different opportunities that come in you just use them as lead gen. Absolutely. So especially if you're a blogger, join as many as possible because there's mm -hmm. so many good brands out there that are looking to work with bloggers that you're able to command the rates that you want to command and that it mm -hmm. can generate some good income on the side uh, for a long period of time. In addition to that, if you're a marketer, I, I, I invite you to join as many networks as you can because it's going to help you if you decide to actually use influencer marketing because you can under, you can get in the mindset of here's what they're actually looking for. I'm going to make my offer the most compelling so I can get the best influencers. And like mm -hmm. every every time we have a brand that also has an influencer account in our system, I know I could I don't have to worry nearly as much about them because they're probably going to understand how to create the right pitch. They'll understand how to create campaigns and they'll have more success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay, how do I know it's the right time? For example, uh, uh, if someone uh, uh, spends time to grow network, uh, to share value, uh, to help support uh, their audience, how do they know that it's the right time to sell? Uh, I don't know, like sponsorship on their posts. And uh, because, you know, I, I often see when uh, small influencers, they have no uh, high engagement are trying mm -hmm. to sell. Uh, uh, I think it's not good decision. What do you think about that? So my belief, and we're trying to democratize influence. We're, we're trying to make it so that anyone can be an influencer. So my, my thesis, therefore, is that even a very small following can work. Now, it's just a matter of, of recognizing reality. So if I join and I only have 10 followers on Twitter, my expectation should not be that I can get a lot of money for this. My expectation should be, okay, at 10 followers, I could probably only charge 10, you know, 10 cents to a dollar in order to you know, make you know, a post. So it's this recognition of what is going to be worth their time on a per post basis. And then, you know, using a basic equation like that to figure out what audience size do I have to have before I meet that rate. And that might be a shifting scale for everyone. So that's probably how I would approach it. At the same time, though, you can get in very early and you can get feedback from networks where you say, hey, I'm not getting enough opportunities. What can I do? They'll, they'll be usually really blunt and they'll say like, well, hey, you know, your content's terrible. They might say like you have a a good sized audience on Instagram who you're selling nail polish and car parts and pictures of airplanes. Like, what do you, what do you focused on? Focus on something, be very niche specific, be become an expert in something and grow that audience. And mm -hmm. you're going to be able to command more money anyways, even if you are small, because there's a lot of brands out there that are looking for niche individuals. And if you happen to be that they're willing to throw a little extra cash because a lot of them are giant brands and it's not a big deal going from, $50 to $500 if you're a match. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, completely. Okay, I have the question. Uh, uh, how to learn today about influence marketing? If someone want to jump on this field to be as an expert like you, uh, how uh, where to start, what courses to take, uh, which type of knowledge is better to learn today? Sure. So I, I wrote a book on this, uh, um, mm -hmm. The Ultimate Guide to Using Influencer Marketing. But you can go on intellifluence.com, the blog, and uh, I have that book free to read. So it's it's broken out. It'll take you a while because it's a lot of blog posts that we've sort of condensed and, and snapped out. So you have a lot of 
uh, guidance on on everything from how to start on channel selection, uh, you know, network selection, influencer selection, type of post, all the way through trying to use math whenever it's possible to, to quantify it. Mm -hmm. And if you're an influencer, the second half of the book is how to get started as an influencer. How do you make that work for you? And so that's free so that they don't have to spend any money. They just read at their own pace and then start playing. Like uh, there's there's enough networks out there that have very low costs. You can easily get a free month on IntelliFluence to, to play around. Uh, you only, for the free month, uh, you just use the, the coupon code free month, all one word. Um, you just have to pay the influencer. That's the only thing. Uh, and after that, mm -hmm. then it becomes a subscription. So you cancel or stay on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. You know, uh, I often get the question, uh, which tools to use for influencer marketing? Do you have a list of tools uh, that will be good, you know, uh, for influence marketing? <laughs> I, <Intel. laughs> I think it's, it, that's, it's my favorite, but we're, we're a closed network. Um, if you're, if you're looking to do like blasting outreach stuff to anyone and you're trying to figure out uh, Ninja outreach is still fine. I mean, they, they have mm -hmm. a list of contacts. Um, there's, there's okay tools out there. I'm not really enamored with a whole bunch. Like it, it depends too. Like if you're looking for um, like B2B stuff, Lee Auden's group, um, uh, I'm going to, I think it's tag or something. Uh, they're pretty good. Uh, they're up in Minnesota, uh, but they're like B2B focused and it's solid for that. Um, if you're looking for more cold contact, not warm contact, um, Upfluence is good, but they're, they're pretty pricey. So they're, again, they're kind of like a ninja outreach, but they're shifted a little bit more towards uh, certain influencers. Now granted, you have to under, keep in mind too, a lot of them, because they're not actually working directly with influencers, they're trying to do their best guess on demographics and engagement stuff. That it's it's just a guess. It's it's rough and it's probably directionally accurate. Mm -hmm. It's not exact. Just be aware of it. If you're just looking to work with the people that are already vetted in the system, IntelliFluence exists specifically for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Okay, uh, you know when uh, I read about influence marketing, I usually uh, get about Instagram. What about other social media, yeah. you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, many others. Uh, why people uh, are looking for influencers on Instagram? And uh, uh, I can't tell that they skip other social media, but in most cases, they pay attention to Instagram. What do you think about that? Well, it, it's actually because this really kicked it off, and I, I wanted to make sure I get the right name for it. I think it was Frank, Frank Body. So when I was exploring this stuff, what I found was a company out of Australia that did really, really well selling coffee grounds ground up for cosmetic purposes. And their entire budget, uh, it was it called Frank Body, they sold um, through influencers. The influencers they sold on was through Instagram. It just kicked it off because Instagram was such a, a perfect channel for a pretty picture with an understanding, like a product placement of, you know, look at Joe's phone. Ooh, it's so beautiful. And, you know, they they purchased the phone. Now, granted, Instagram had a ton of issues, like making it really hard if you were a marketer. Like, come on, give me an easy way to click out and use a coupon code and track it. They're getting better with that. They held off for a long time. But the influencer world has shifted a lot. Facebook's still good. It's just, it's slightly different in the use cases. Like Facebook's a little bit better if, you're looking for that Instagram style content, but you need more context. You need a bit more text. You need a little bit more tighter group. Instagram is a little bit more out, outwardly open. Facebook is a little bit more uh, controlled. TikTok is the one that's eaten Instagram's lunch. 
like a lot of brands that we have that use Instagram, they're shifting budget to TikTok because it's cheaper on a per uh, follower basis. The influence, the brands that use us on on Twitter are tend to be a little bit different. They they might be uh, like uh, political. They might be uh, in an audience and awareness sort of right, where they're just looking to really grow the amount of people that are aware of it. Like contest, we run contest. Uh, Twitter is a great way to do that. If they're doing B two B, they're probably looking on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is something we support. Um, sometimes they do, you know, they, they want to do SEO blogs. So, and then YouTube actually is, is a really big channel. That's not going anywhere either. Um, it's grown and it's got a lot more expensive, but with YouTube, the production value tends to be really high. Like you're, you're doing a lot of video editing and stuff like the, the amount of time it takes to like make a really good, you know, intro and, and recommendation video, um, it, it becomes worth it. And then you, you take a look at, you know, what, what channels are kind of up and coming, you know, Reddit's a channel we support. We don't get a lot of action through Reddit. A lot, not too many brands are trying to push it just because uh, their Reddit uh, ad ecosystem is pretty decent. And so that's another thing you look at too. Like if the ad ecosystem is not great, then you're going to probably see a better organic, you know, uh, mm-hmm. influencer system. So Twitter, terrible. <laughs> so because that, you know, you have a lot of people using Twitter. And it's kind of the same thing for Instagram. Like you get some decent ads, but most people don't like them. And so they, they try to go direct. But uh, I think... We, we, we're constantly evaluating channels like SoundCloud is a channel we support, but it's not big with us yet. Twitch is a channel we support. It's not big with us yet just because brands really haven't figured out that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to choose the right uh, type of content? For example, uh, on Instagram, uh, influencers often use uh, stories. Uh, what do you think about uh, live streams? Uh, because uh, I often see when uh, someone is live streaming uh, as we do right now. yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, And uh, they uh, submit sponsors. Do you think is it a good idea to sell influence marketing from live streams? It's It's tricky. So um, I do have a little experience in this because uh, I, I was I was helping out a, a conference for the Digital Marketers Organization. It was the Advanced Search Summit. We did a bunch of virtual series. It happened to be during the pandemic, so we had to do all virtual conferences. We actually use StreamYard like you do. So mm-hmm. the difficulty with live is once it's done, it's done. It's kind of ephemeral. The, the selling proposition to sponsors there is that, hey, we're going to have an immediate group of people that see it. But then we're going to take this and we're going to make it into a video that could be consumed later. And so you're going to have a longer yeah. period of content. So that, I think that determines whether or not you should use it is whether a sponsor can see the value of that. If it's um, if it's a product that has a very temporal need, um, I, I could see the aspect of going live, especially if the audience is large enough. But it, it's a tricky proposition. Like um, the, the reels on like Instagram, in stories like I don't like the idea, like personally, of of doing uh, the 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 ad formats within stories to have it disappear. And I, I don't like mm-hmm. it as much. I like the post that stick around for a while. Uh, I did read Instagram's looking to make this change here. We're going to allow you to have multiple content types to turn in the reels and let the reels last for a long period, longer period of time, make it more evergreen. If that happens, then mm-hmm. I'll change my mind on that. But um, I, my preference, therefore, as you can sort of figure out, I like content that's going to stick around. Mm-hmm. So TikTok can be great, but unless it goes really, really viral, I worry that, okay, is it just going to get drowned out if that influencer is posting at a very high rate? I, you know, I, I might like YouTube a little bit more. I love blog posts because blog posts stick around for a long period of time. Do I want to go live on LinkedIn? 
Maybe. I mean, if, if I if I think I'm going to get in front of the right people on LinkedIn for the particular product service, but it's it's difficult. I think everything has its own equation you have to figure out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everyone wanna get. Uh... Uh, high engagement and viral content, <laughs> but you know, it's better not to chase uh, creating viral content well, because it, it depends. Yeah, everyone needs to go ahead and sponsor Anatoly's next uh, live cast. That's, <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah, by the way, I'll have the sponsor soon. Um, okay, uh, great. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're uh, discussing about uh, money, you know, yeah, that's okay, you know, <laughs> money issue we have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I'll have the sponsor. And yeah, uh, Joe, it's a big pleasure to learn from you. Uh, to share all the to, to learn all these insights and uh, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Absolutely. So you, my name is Joe Sinkwitz. Uh, do a search on LinkedIn. Do a search on Twitter. You'll find me. It's Cygnus SEO on Twitter, but it, you'll see Joe Sinkwitz. Uh, I am at mm -hmm. IntelliFluence.com. You can uh, reach out to Joe at IntelliFluence.com, and I answer all my own emails. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, you can find all these links uh, in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time, for all these insights. Uh, you reply to a lot of questions. Yeah, great to learn from you. And see you next time. Happy to do it. Slava Ukraini. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.